a month ago, I preached a sermon. It was turned out to be part one because I couldn't fit it all in one sermon. And that was entitled Greta Thunberg, and I made it part one. Today, tonight is part two. In case there's anyone that doesn't know who she is, she has become world famous. She's a 16-year-old girl from Sweden, I believe. And uh, she has become very exercised over global warming. And she's not the only one. I seem to see a movement in the world that are getting concerned about global warming. And while I certainly agree that some of the destruction of our planet ought to be attended to, and we ought to uh, stop some of the things we're doing, on the other hand, as we study our Bible, we learn that this world is not going to be destroyed by man. God was the one that created it, and he's the one that will destroy it. He's not going to let man, even with all of his perversity and all of his uh, greed and everything else that drives the things that are destroying this planet, He's the one that will wind it up. And, you know, as I've watched some of the videos, <clears throat> I realize that Greta is getting uh, some other people kind of worked up about it, especially the young people, because they're thinking that when they come on the stage of action, uh, this world's not going to be very livable. And so naturally, they want to do something about it, to try to get the older folks to wake up and, and straighten things out. Lawmakers and, you know, others that uh, have the power to do it. <clears throat> because of this, she became the person of the year in Time magazine. And it's kind of fascinating to watch what great interest there is to bring her to their show or to wherever to talk to her about this global warming. Now, certainly, she knows an awful lot about it. <clears throat> For someone her age, she's applied herself pretty well to it. But if I could give her a message, it would be this. While Global warming is a problem. It's not the big problem. There's coming a global warming that's worse than the one that she's worried about. So I want to review just quickly the points I covered in the last sermon. It's up on YouTube if you want to look at it. But we noticed that there is an Armageddon war between Christ and and Satan. And as a part of that war, God sends the seven last plagues. And they are worse than what happened in Egypt years ago. They'll be way worse than that. 
We also notice that uh, two powers develop, beast and the false prophet, and uh, they are stopped during this war from their uh, efforts when God says from heaven, it is done. That's in Revelation 16, verse 17, when he says it's done. He basically says, you've gone far enough, you're not going anymore, you're finished. And the events that happen after that testify of the truthfulness of those words. The commandments get revealed from heaven. You know, there were commandments in the old sanctuary in the Old Testament, but they were a copy of the Ten Commandments that are in the heavenly sanctuary. And so after this, it is done, these commandments from the heavenly sanctuary are revealed and they haven't been changed. They're the same as they were in the Old Testament. Then <clears throat> there's a worldwide earthquake under the seventh plague. Beyond anything that anyone has ever dreamed of, this earthquake is described there in Revelation. And then all of this prepares for the second coming of Jesus when the beast and the false prophet burn up. So for them, that's the first global warming. They're burned up. And the rest of the lost are destroyed. And number eight, where we finished, all of those that chose not to listen to Jesus, not to follow him, are all destroyed, and the Bible pictures them as being eaten by birds. That may be literal, actually, because there are dead bodies all over the earth and nobody to bury them. So we'll take off from that. In Acts chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we read this. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. <clears throat> So here we see Jesus, when he has finished his stay on earth, he's resurrected from the tomb, he's ready to go back to heaven, and he goes to the mountain, and from there he sends back into heaven. And the instruction to the disciples is, there's a time coming in the future that he's going to come just like he left, only in the opposite way, of course. He was standing there, he slowly went up into heaven, and when he came back, he's going to come down slowly and he's going to touch the mountain. And we have a prophecy about that in Zechariah 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountains shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. What is happening here? 
Well, it's not the second coming of Christ because he does not touch the earth at the second coming. He draws those that are resurrected and those that are alive up to join him in the clouds. So this is what is called the third coming of Christ. And at the third coming, Jesus descends on the same place, just like he said, on a Mount of Olives. And when he hits the mountain, it parts and becomes a huge valley. And if you read in, uh, well, we may touch on some of it here, but it's making a place for the new Jerusalem. And if you carry out the measurements, it's approximately the size of Georgia and Alabama put together. There's no city on earth that is as big as that. We have some big cities, but this one is far beyond anything that man has ever seen. And so this huge valley is the place where the New Jerusalem is going to land for the last battle in the War of Armageddon. Now in Revelation 20, it tells us what's going to happen previous to this uh, third coming of Jesus. It says, this is the first resurrection. So we're back at the second coming of Jesus. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's the one. You either want to be alive and following Jesus, or you want to be able to come up in that first resurrection. Why? On such the second death hath no power. Second death is the one nobody comes back to life from the second death. But they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So it tells a little bit about what those that are ready for Jesus coming, what they're going to do. They're going to participate it says, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Here it describes what they're doing. In another study, we could look at the beginning of the investigative judgment, which happened October 22, 1844. But the only people that are investigated in this judgment are those who had their name in the book of life at some time in their lifespan. All the rest that never got their name in the book of life, they're not looked at until this time. Why? Because they're lost. And so there's no need to look at their name until now. But there's people up there that are going to wonder, why isn't so-and-so there? I thought they were really a godly person. And so the investigation is going to continue, starting with Cain, and it's going to look at all the lost, and the righteous are going to be there to be a part of this. 
And no doubt, they're going to participate in this deciding how much global warming each of these people get. Going on, it says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, we have to realize that Revelation uses a lot of symbols, and so we're not expecting to see a literal chain or a pit that's so deep there's no bottom in it. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. How's he going to be bound? And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. That's it right there. He has no work to do except fight with his angels and try to explain to them the wonderful kingdom that was supposed to be better than what God was, what he had and what he was hoping would exist on earth. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Well, what does it mean he'll be loosed? It means he'll have somebody to work on again. This thousand year period is going to be a terrible torture for the devil and his angels because they are very busy, active, constantly, and uh, they're cheered by success uh, often. But the time comes when their work is finished for a thousand years. And you can imagine what Satan is going to go through. It's not worth being on his side. In Revelation 21, it says this in verse 2 and verse 10, And I, John, saw the holy city. So in, in a vision, he, he saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. He'd have to be on a pretty high mountain to see a city that big. But God revealed that to John so that he could tell us, this is no hope, this is reality. He saw it come. And God never goes back on what he says. Going back to Revelation 20, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. In other words, the first resurrection took the righteous out of this world up to heaven for a thousand years. The rest of the dead didn't come to life for a thousand years. Now right here is a very damaging theology that is widely preached that people will have a second chance to accept Jesus during those thousand years. But they're not going to have a second chance. They're all dead. There is no second chance. 
That is the doctrine of the devil himself to try to get people to put off the day of salvation. But God has told us clearly in the Bible, they will not live again until the thousand years are finished. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. That's at the end of the thousand years. And death and hell, or the grave here, you have to separate which hell is talking about the grave and which one's talking about hellfire. But this one's talking about the grave. Delivered up the dead which were in them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. So now they have to meet the delivery of the sentence. The righteous have gotten the delivery of the sentence. You come home with me to heaven. Now, those that are lost, they're going to receive the delivery of the sentence. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And their names were not in it. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Revelation 20, 7 to 9 says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Obviously, why he got unchained is because now he has some people to work on. <clears throat> Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So every person, starting with Cain, that's ever rejected God. And by the way, nobody rejects without light. God sees to it that everybody has light in order to be able to accept Jesus as their Savior. So these have not just sinned, but they have rejected the ministry of Jesus and the angels and the Holy Spirit. They, they have rejected that. And so there's a huge number of people. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. You can just imagine Satan lying to them. You know, that's his basic bottom line. He's a liar. He tells you things will bless you and they'll curse you over and over again. That's what, he's a liar. Anyway, he has lied to them and he says, listen, we can take that city. Look how many people we've got with us. We can take that city. <clears throat> and so he has some time to prepare, get the atomic weapons going again and whatever else he wants to use. And they march on the city. <clears throat> But here is the global warming that every person that's alive today needs to come to grips with. Now, I don't think God gave this to us to scare us into heaven. That's not his tactic. Calvary is what is to help us be interested in heaven. But he did tell us 
what the future holds for a reason. And I believe one of the reasons is to wake up some people who are not looking at Calvary to wake up to realize that uh, there's something coming that they better prepare for. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Here's another false teaching that is very widespread. That the devil is in charge of hell. And he makes sure that people burn throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. No, it's not like that at all. Hellfire is for the devil. He's the one that's going to be in it, along with all of his angels. And death and hell, or the grave, were cast into the lake of fire. In other words, nobody dies after this group of die. die. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now here's the proof that God never intended human beings to have to go in this fire. Matthew 25, 41, and these are the words of Jesus. He said, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not prepared for human beings. The only human beings that go in it are the ones that have chosen to follow Satan and at the same time have rejected the cross, rejected to follow the one that loves them. They have listened to Satan's lies and they have uh, sinned against the light that God has given them. And so they have to go in with him. It wasn't prepared for them, but they go in with him. Now, again, there's a big mistake about how long this fire lasts. But in Malachi 4, verse 1 and 3, it tells us, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Now, I want you to notice how many times he refers to how long the fire is. Now, if you have a fire in the stubble, you know, after the grain's been cut down and you're getting a fire going through the stubble, it can't burn very long. It usually goes really fast across the field, but <clears throat> says there'll be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up. Not keep burning them, burn them up. Saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So Satan is the root, and all those that followed him are the branches. And ye, talking about the righteous, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. So apparently, the righteous who are in the city, New Jerusalem, just like the ark was riding on the water, the New Jerusalem is going to ride on the fire. 
and it will be protected. Everyone in there will be protected from the fire. But after the fire, God takes them for a walk on the ashes of Satan and the one that they have at times been scared of and finally gained the victory over. And they see that God has given them total victory. The fire is not still burning, but it reduces to ashes. 2 Peter 3.10 says, The heavens shall pass away. Now there's three heavens. There's the uh, atmosphere around this earth. There is the starry heavens. And then there's where God lives. So this is talking about the atmosphere. Anything that man has polluted has to be burned up. And so the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt. So the, I don't know how deep this is going to go, but certainly as deep as man has gone, the whole crust of the earth is going to melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So anything that man has done, whatever he's created, the cities he's made, anything that he's done is all going to be uh, destroyed by this amazing, intense fire. <clears throat> now this fire is one that Jesus warned us about in Matthew 10, verse 28. Fear not them which kill the body. There's killing going on today of Christians and it's going to continue. But we are not to fear those that can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body. And where does he do that? In hell. So there won't be any spirit being or anything that gets out of that fire. If they are one that goes in, they don't come out and they never get resurrected again. Psalm 37.10 says, Yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place and it shall not be. So there's a time coming when no one that has rejected the love of Calvary and the love of many other people who are trying to help them through the love of Calvary, then uh, they won't be found by anyone. They're not still burning. Also, we have a perfect example in Sodom. In Isaiah 28, 18, it says, Thou talking to Satan, hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. <coughs> Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. Now that's pretty clear. Satan is going to be devoured. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. So Satan is not taking care of hellfire. He is destroyed 
to the point of ashes. And what a relief everyone that's saved will have, never having to listen to Satan's suggestions anymore. In Jude, verse 7, it gives an example of this kind of fire. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The word eternal has to do with the fact that they never live again. Not that they burn throughout eternity, but that they will never live again. It's eternal. It closes their experience. And there's other texts like that. People get mixed up because of that. However, the Bible is full of evidence. Ezekiel 18, verse 4. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, not burn forever. It shall die. Verse 20, in the same chapter. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It repeats it. Not burn forever. And in the New Testament, Romans 6, 23, says the wages of sin is death, not burning eternally. And even in that John 3, 16, that I don't know, there's very many people that haven't heard this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not burn eternally? No, should not perish but have everlasting life. There's another angle we could look at, uh, the meaning of forever in the Bible. Exodus 21, verses 2 through 6. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Now, in some places it calls it slave, but they were treated like employees, not like slaves. And so, if a person got so poor that they had to hire themselves to one of their fellow Israelites, he could use them until they could pay back what they needed to pay him. And if they couldn't, for up till the seventh year, then he had to let them go anyway at the seventh year. But some of them liked it so well, they wanted to stay. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. <laughs> I guess that's what they do to put in earrings. But uh, he made a hole in his ear. And he shall serve him forever. Well, it's pretty obvious. What is the longest period of time that he can serve his master? Till he dies, obviously, 
That's the longest he can go. And the same thing is in the New Testament. In Philemon, chapter 1, verse 15, he was a servant, and he was being sent back to his master. And Paul said, thou shouldest receive him forever. Again, but what's the longest he could serve his master? Till he died. Now, just think of the two futures that people have. If they go to heaven, there's nothing to take their life. And so forever means throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. If they're in the fire, they're not going to live very long. Forever is until they die, both groups, until they die. It's just one group never dies. Here's another evidence. Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So that was all burned up, and he had a purpose for that. In verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven, and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. God never changes his plan. He had to take a detour because of sin. But he made this planet for Adam and Eve and all their descendants to live on, and he has not changed his plan. The same place where the fire burns and destroys all the sin has touched and everything that has yielded to sin and Satan are all destroyed. Then he will let the righteous live in the same place after he has made it all brand new. Who knows? Maybe it'll even be better than what it was before, but it will be certainly as beautiful as it was before. And so if I could give a message to all the young people that Greta Thunberg is getting worried and, you know, almost a feeling of hopelessness. If we can't get these people to change, we're just going to all be in trouble. We probably can't even live out our lives because global warming is going to ruin this planet. Don't worry. Before that could happen, what we've studied tonight is going to happen. God is going to wind up this planet. And he has warned us about what he's going to do. Again, not to scare us into heaven. But you wouldn't be happy at God if he didn't explain what's going to happen, would you? No. He, he's open. He explains exactly what's going to happen. But of course, what he's interested in is that we will get interested in the efforts that he's making to try to draw us to him through the love that Calvary and his whole life demonstrated while he was here on earth. May God help us also to realize the seriousness of the future of the lost. Many of them don't know, but we should know. And if we know... We're not going to sit down doing nothing 
to try to help people avoid a future like that. That's the global warming we need to stop people from having to get involved with.